Welcome to the Natural Running Network, the information resource for athletes that are trying to get it done and get it done right. My name is Richard Diaz. I'm your host. Sit tight, grab a cup of coffee, and let's do this. Okay, so here I am, and uh, as I stated earlier, many, many times, is that I'm not doing a podcast unless I have something really decent to talk about. And I have VJ back with me, and I earlier had explained to him that I've had a lot of people interested in seeing us do this together because they thought we bounce well off of each other, becomes fun, entertaining. And so we have VJ here, not only for his, his uh, physical prowess, but for his uh, color commentary and comic review. Um, and we're going to talk about breathing, which is a really important subject for most endurance athletes, actually most athletes. That... I think it's important to uh, everyone, actually. I, I can't imagine going a day without breathing. Um, yeah. It would just be incredibly yeah. uh, detrimental to my health, to my well-being. Um, so uh, I think it's a really important topic, probably one of the most take important. Take it a step further. Breath. I don't think you can go more than six or seven minutes without breathing without uh, having serious consequences. I mean, unless you're Tom Cruise. He held his breath for like five and a half minutes filming an underwater scene, so yeah. unless you're just a superhuman like him. Can I call bullshit? Uh, you can, but that's the truth. You don't know. You weren't there. Well, I know that Tom Cruise is my like my little hero. Oh, really? A, he's a beast, dude. I didn't know that about you. Dude. You're not, you're not a Scientologist, are you? Um, I am not. Good. I know about it, Good but know. I'm not. All right. Okay. So uh, that's what I know about Tom Cruise is he's kind of weird with that. So I but think it, people just don't know what it is, so then they freak out. But we should avoid this topic and let's move on to something else, <laughs> like we're breathing. About breathing, okay. And uh, so on the topic of breathing, as I you know, be, before we started this show. Before we got the false start on this show, I shared with you that a soccer player that I was working with was having some issues with her breathing patterns while we were doing intervals on the treadmill. Right. And um, for soccer players, they have this thing called a beep test. It's like a combine for soccer players. And essentially what they do is they will take the, the team and put them in a field and have them run out 20, uh, 20 yards, turn around, run back. Actually, 20 meters. Run out 20 meters, run back 20 meters. And it's done on a beep. So you run, you get back, you wait for the beep, you do it again, and progressively it gets quicker. And what they try to do is figure out how many repetitions you can do before you fail. And so it's like musical chairs, last person standing wins. So this is an important element for her training is to be able to successfully get through this beep test because the coaches weigh very heavily on that capacity. And uh, so we do this little fashion of beep test uh, on the treadmill Obviously, we're not turning around and running back the other way. Um, even though we could do that, um, we, we, what we do is we run consistently for the time that the beep test requires to measure. And then we take the breaks that it offers. It's essentially 10 seconds off. And initially, it's like 10, 14 seconds uh, of running with 10 seconds break in between, then progressively faster, faster, faster. So what we cool. do is we set the thing up at 11 miles per hour. And we run until, you know, the guy says go and then stop. And he'll count up the intervals, right? Well, yeah. we, with the coronavirus thing being what it is, we got a little bit out of shape. 
and uh, we were testing her to see how she was doing. Before the coronavirus, we were literally able to run the audio tape out, which is 94 intervals without fail. Wow. Unbroken. And she came back and she was able to complete like uh, 30 or 40, I think it was, before she failed. And so I called her on the fact that she was hyperventilating. Her, her breath patterns were really erratic. And I think that that's the principal reason why she was having such a hard time with it. So anyway, I sat her down and I started explaining to her about the benefits of diaphragmatic breathing, which we'll discuss in great length in a little bit here. But it's a concept of breathing while you're exercising that will allow you to gain more oxygen to the working muscles. So, but there's so many, like we talked about this earlier, where there's so many different methodologies that are out there surrounding how to breathe while you run, ride a bike, exercise, CrossFit, whatever it might be. And you're going to share some ideas and thoughts that you've come across, and then we'll just kick the can down the road. Okay. Yeah. So um, from what I've read and my extensive Googling is that um, everyone has their own recipe for success when it comes to breathing, Um, not just – uh, the technique of breathing where you take air by expanding your chest or by expanding more in your stomach, that diaphragmatic style of breathing, but also where you should breathe in from, whether you breathe in through your nose or breathe in through your mouth or both at the same time or alternate. It's uh, Everyone has their own uh, opinion about that, and I'm sure you do as well. But uh, something that I found that's pretty common across many of the more successful programs out there and techniques that people um, like to use is using the nose um, for breathing as much as you can. Uh, some programs call for you to breathe almost exclusively through your nose, which from an endurance standpoint, if I'm going to run an all-out 5K, I don't think I'm going to be able to sustain that. Uh, I don't think my nose is big enough to handle that kind of volume. But Yeah, you're close. <laughs> but... Um, a lot of programs are speaking of the benefits of breathing through your nose for some neurological response. Um, that something about breathing through your sinuses actually um, has an effect on like your mental status and it can actually calm your body down. Um, I think you actually know a little more about this than I do. Well, so um, it's interesting because as again, as we discussed earlier in a program that didn't get aired, um, doing VO2 tests on athletes, commonly the question will be, how should I breathe? And the mask that we use when we do a VO2 max test allows you to capture airflow from your nose and your mouth at the same time. And if you choose to close your mouth and breathe exclusively through your nose, good for you. And I, and I brought this to light earlier off air. Um, back in the day when I did testing, we had this thing like a snorkel to do testing, right? So you just like bit down on it and you breathe exclusively through your mouth. And then you wore a nose clip to trap the airflow from your nose. And then you had to do the VO2 test right through your mouth. That sucked. I'm just going to tell you right now, that sucked. People hated that. Oh, I bet. Oh my God. It was terrible. And, you know, we, we talked about the, the, the saliva trap, what I call the drool cup, that's on the front of this thing. 
and you know testing like 50 <laughs> hockey players professional hockey players and having a five, 50 gallon bag full of mouthpieces that had drool in them that I ended up having to clean at the end of the day it was it was just a nightmare but um, but it, it occurred to me so like well if that was really effective why would they go to a mass that would uh, the gentleman's name is Hans Rudolph, who was the exercise scientist that came up with this Hans Rudolph mask that allow you to draw air through your nose and your mouth. So the thing about nose breathing that I found interesting is it's been suggested that when you, when you breathe through your nose exclusively because your sinus cavities reside in and around your nose, your nasal cavities here, uh, you release more nitric oxide in every breath you take. And the nitric oxide will in turn release more oxygen as you breathe. And they're suggesting, there are people who want to argue that because of that, uh, even though the consequence of drawing more airflow through your nose and your mouth collectively, breathing through your nose, even though you're not moving as much air, you're going to move more oxygen. And so this has been on my mind quite a lot over the last couple weeks. And so, you know, doing a little bit of research here and there and just experimenting with it. So I find that, you know, you mentioned something about calming effect. I, when I go to bed, if I breathe exclusively through my nose and I've started to identify that I, when I sleep, I do breathe exclusively through my nose. If I take deep breaths through my nose and just kind of long, relaxing breaths, I out like a light. I go to sleep really quick. Now, and I'm not terribly sure what the mechanism is that caused that to have happen. But I do know that it works. Um, so then the other day I went out for a long bike ride. You know, that's a relative term. Uh, for me, going out, having not been on my bike for a long time, going out for 40 miles was a long bike ride. And I got to a place where I was going to push on these hills because I was looking to see whether I could check this, scenario, this uh, hypothetical situation out. And I try to breathe exclusively through my nose. doesn't work. You push, your body wants to get, your autonomic system is going to kick in and say, you know what, you're not going to be as capable of making sure we get what we need to survive. Um, so we're taking the responsibility away from you. And you just instinctively will take air wherever you can get it, nose, mouth, you know, wherever. Whatever orifice will offer it, you'll take it, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so then... You know, as I alluded to earlier, the diaphragmatic breathing. So for those people that don't understand what that's about, your diaphragm is like a trampoline. It's this membrane that separates the viscera, your guts, from your heart, lungs, those organs, right? And so it's like this trampoline. And if you draw air into your lungs and your lungs expand, they drop down against that diaphragm, Okay. So there's a reciprocal reflexive response when you stretch that diaphragm down, it pops back up, just like jumping down onto a trampoline. You're, you're the, the force goes down and the reciprocal response is the force comes back up. So most people tend to breathe into their chest. And when you breathe into your chest, your diaphragm is actually getting sucked up and it actually will limit the volume of your lungs. And when you exhale, you're only going to exhale the limited amount of airflow that you've taken into your lungs. So it's actually uh, limiting in your capacity to gain airflow. 
And I'm making the distinction of airflow versus oxygen uptake because if you have a 50-gallon container of air and 21% of that air is oxygen, you have more oxygen because it's a bigger container, okay? If you have a smaller container, you still only have 21% of that volume as oxygen. So it's important to get quantitative airflow into the system because in so doing, you get quantitative oxygen uptake. And the opposite being true is that as you evacuate, as you exhale, you're liberating that carbon dioxide. And I have open here um, an article or blog that was written by Dr. Jack Daniels. And uh, we talked about this briefly the other day, but Jack Daniels, I've actually attended uh, uh, a workshop that he lectured at. And, which is kind of cool because, you know, he's kind of an icon in the sport of running and he's an exercise scientist. And he's back in the day was doing, you know, I mean, try to imagine, you know, we, we've got this cool contraption where I can do VO2 testing in my lab. And, you know, I can uh, next week I'm traveling to Maryland to do testing on athletes there. And my device is a little bit bigger than a, a large briefcase. Um, and that's it. <laughs> they used to have like a golf cart and the thing called a Douglas bag, okay? Try to imagine this big balloon. It looks like a weather balloon uh, about, uh, I don't know, uh, eight feet in diameter that was attached to a hose that's attached to you and you're breathing into it while you're running around the track. And that's how they used to do uh, these VO2 tests is, is through this capture of these gases. Well, you know, Jack Daniels was back in the day doing that kind of experimentation on athletes. So to suggest that he's been around a long time working this stuff, it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating. But anyway, he was, what, he, what I got from him that I thought was pretty entertaining is he looks at uh, two things. Uh, the frequency of step, which you know that I, you know, I'm staunch about, 180 strides per minute. But he also looked at breath rate and the entrainment of breath to cadence. And he started talking about efficiency in breath rate relative to frequency of cadence. And he suggested that 80% of the elite runners in the world are on what's uh, referred to as a two-to-two -two rhythm. Two steps, two breaths. Okay, that's the frequency. And that typically gets uh, locked into about 180 strides per minute. And it becomes a very efficient rate of, of breathing. Then he started talking about um, as you start to escalate the intensity of the work, you're needing more air more frequently, uh, so you breathe more often. So your breath rate accelerates, okay? They refer to that as tidal volume, how much air you're moving. And uh, what's interesting is when you get to a place where you're like, you know, taking – uh, a breath for every step, you know, you're, you're now you're kind of hyperventilating. You're not getting more mm -hmm. air. You're just desperate to try to get more air. And so um, I think the thing collectively across the board in this concept of air, breathing and airflow is um, it isn't really about what hole you get it from. It's more so the need to get more of it. What do you think about that? I can agree with that, for sure. Um, like, when I first got into running, I was in elementary school, and uh, the 
coach there was just like some local like volunteer dude that wanted to come by and coach us and he told us to breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth and i mean okay so we we did that and i did that for years and it wasn't until i got to high school that i learned that if i just start breathing in through my nose and mouth at the same time the sheer volume of air that i can bring in like was so much more and I found myself being more capable. So, I mean, not that I was aware of the practice, but I was already breathing exclusively in through my nose um, for a couple of years. And I found that I had better performance and I was able to have more output when I was just going for sheer volume rather than a certain strategy. So my, my personal technique is to breathe in through my nose and mouth at the same time the entire time. I have all airways open, ready for business, all the time. And I, I think that there's something to be said for that. Um, and I, I think that, uh, and again, I keep referencing that I think because I don't know. It's just um, a supposition, I guess, is that um, these guys that are out there in the world, they go out on these tangents, right? And they get this little bit of information that's 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 accurate, and then they spin off of it into this you know catastrophic outcome. So, you know, the idea that yeah, wow, that nitric oxide that's important. We got to get nitric oxide in our system to release oxygen. But really, at the end of the day, does it make that much difference? Because let's say, let's face it, we never said for a minute so far that we stopped breathing through our nose. We didn't say clamp our nose down and just breathe through our mouth, did we? Um, no. So, you know, let's just say that as you're gathering as much airflow as you possibly can through whichever orifices you have, you're also going to get nitrous oxide along with it. Uh, and who's to suggest that by doing so, you aren't going to get as much or maybe even as even more than you might have got if you were just exclusively taking air in through the nose. Um, and then I think, again, the, the most important, most critical component of all of this is that more airflow means more oxygen oxygen delivery. And so more airflow, there, there's a sweet spot. And the sweet spot has to do with how much breath you can gather and how much CO2 you can release in the cycle of breath. Uh, and that's more important to me than whether there's more premium value in breathing exclusively through your nose. Um, but I damn sure feel like the, the diaphragmatic breathing is a much better approach because you're going to liberate more CO2 more effectively uh, and you're going to gather more airflow more effectively if you breathe that way. Now, speaking of diaphragmatic breathing, what is, what is the strategy there versus um, you know, the traditional, I guess, what most people do, ex expanding their chest out to breathe? What, what, when you're teaching someone to breathe a specific way, what, uh, what do you say to them? What is the, the yeah. first step yeah, in moving on? For example, I'm sitting here right now with talking to you. If I put my hand on my belly, on my navel, and I try to fill my hand with a breath, and I just now took the air exclusively through my nose. Why? Because I'm not doing any exercise. I'm sitting in a chair. It's easy to do. So, But <laughs> it doesn't matter. I could have, like this, took a big gulp of air through my mouth, and through my nose. Um, but the important thing is that I feel my belly protrude. And you know, it's not very fashionable to stick your gut out because you know, I live that way every day. And it's, you know, 
<laughs> but the point being is that, is when you breathe into your belly, your lungs drop into the diaphragm. And there's, there's an eccentric effect where you're going to get repayment. That, that, that stretched diaphragm is going to contract uh, concentrically, and it's going to force the air back out of your system. And so the idea, and one thing that Jack Daniels said in this, in this lecture that I attended that he spoke at, kind of an interesting guy, by the way. He's, old, he's, like old, he's way older school than me. And so you know what happens when you get older is you just don't, there's no filter. You just don't care what you say to people. <laughs> um, but he, he said, he made this, this little scenario. He said, he said, try to imagine that I stuck you in a safe and locked the door and left you there. He goes, your first consideration is that, you know, you're going to die because you can't get in the air, can't get any oxygen, right? He mm-hmm. said, that's not going to be the problem. He said, the problem is, is that you're going to be producing that CO2 into that confined space, and you're not going to be able to get rid of it. He goes, long before you, you die from lack of oxygen, you're going to be in excruciating pain from the carbon dioxide you're incapable of getting out of your system. He goes, that's what's going to kill you. So you're going to, you're going to, you're going to just be overwhelmed by this carbon dioxide. And um, so it's almost more important. By the way, and we never talked about this before, um, there's a guy that I met, and we did a, a seminar. It's probably been about, man, it's been a while back, about 25 years ago. This guy came to do this thing. He's from Brazil. His name is Orlando Cani. I think we talked about this, you and I, before. If you've never Googled Orlando Cani, this guy, when it, he's a, a, a yogi. I mean, he's really into uh, yoga, but he's also... Uh, trained some of the most uh, world-renowned uh, jiu-jitsu and martial arts fighters in the world. Um, okay. Fighters. He, he's responsible tr- for training the Gracie brothers. And anybody that knows anybody in MMA may know who Gracie is. But this guy does animal behaviors. And so through his interpreter, he was explaining to it. By the way, when I met him, he was about 70 years old, I think. <laughs> he's still at it, by the way. He's still... He would, he would like uh, um, jump onto the floor and I'm a monkey. And you look at this guy and his mannerisms were like, oh my God, he looks like a monkey, the way he's moving, right? And then he would turn into it. So try to feature this, okay? The guy got onto his shoulder with his legs piked straight up in the sky and his, his legs would fall like almost like they're going to fall over and he was like he was he was mimicking a snake like a cobra you know a cobra is like out of the basket the head's coming mm-hmm. yeah 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 he was doing that and then flipped over and turned into a spider and ran across the floor with like a spider and everything he did he didn't need to tell you what he was doing you could immediately know what he was doing but so what's interesting about this guy was he said he sat in the in the uh, rainforest in Brazil for like 20 years studying animal behaviors and he was talking about if you watch an animal, if you have a dog in your house right now and you're listening to this, watch your dog breathe. Your dog doesn't focus on inhale. It's panting. It's exhaling. And what it's doing is it's liberating CO2. And animals do that. 
And, you, you know, I mean, these animals are much faster than we are, more capable of than we are, where it comes to endurance. But I just thought it was an interesting uh, play on breathe, breathing patterns. And he would teach these fighters how to respirate. And you, you're going to talk about Winhoff, okay? There's another guy that, you know, if you look at the way the Winhoff method is, it's all about panting. It's all about CO2 release, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take your word for it. I can't. Uh, I've read about it a little bit, but I can't seem to find, like, a breakdown of his techniques without Dude, buying his stuff. You've got to go, you've got to go <laughs> onto YouTube and pull up Winhoff. And you'll see the original video that they show him. There's a journalist that comes and gets in his little shack with him, and they, they're singing songs together while he plays guitar, and they're drinking vodka. And the guy's an alcoholic. I mean, the guy's like, he's, he's like my brother. I mean, the guy drinks and parties, and he's just a genius in what he does. But he, uh, he cuts like a hole through the ice. He lives in, uh, I don't know, some Scandinavian country in the winter. And, like, the ice is like, I don't know, seven inches thick, cuts a hole through the ice, gets in the hole, and swims down the river and, you know, comes out the other side somewhere in another hole they cut out for him. But he could hold his breath for so crazy long in frigid-ass water and be fine. And then they ran up they ran up this mountain, uh, and he had board shorts on, no shoes, no socks, no shirt, and just, you know, he, he could just, he was impervious to cold, and, 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 I, and I, to honestly, I'm not terribly sure I understand what that's all about. But I know the common denominator in all of this is that what they do in their training is they lie on the ground and they hyperventilate. They hyperventilate till some people end up either passing out, hallucinating, or whatever. Jeez. Yeah, I mean, I have a couple of friends that have actually gone through the process, not with him, but with some of his minions. And, mm-hmm. you know, they profess it to be just crazy. Um, but again, it all gets back down to this breathing pattern. What's the right way? What's the wrong way to do it? And um, I think collectively we've agreed so far that we don't know that we, just, <laughs> that we could just only assume that um, more whole space you could move air through more beneficial to it. And I haven't heard of any athletes that have been very successful, you know, in the endurance community um, that attribute some of their success to, you know, Wim Hof or some breathing technique like that. Now, I might have just missed that and not heard of it, but most athletes seem to just uh, follow what works best for them. And most of the athletes I've spoken to breathe through nose and mouth all the time to just get the most volume of air that they can. Now, there is some strategy towards, um, you know, diaphragmatically breathing and and taking that initial breath in into the belly and then letting your chest expand afterwards so that you're getting a lot more volume that way. And um, for me, another thing that I do when racing is when I feel myself start to, you know, have to breathe harder, I get my heart rate a little out of control, breathing as much out as I can, forcing all the excess air that's been hanging around, force it all out, take a new deep breath in afterwards, that seems to actually calm down my heart rate and just get me back in control of what's going on. So that's another thing that I've, I've heard a lot of people do as well. And um, 
that seems to it seems to work. Well, so I want to take it a step further. Just kind of let's broaden the scope of the conversation a little bit. Think about training. All the training modalities that are written generally are surrounded about manipulating lactate, lactate tolerance, lactate evacuation. So the way your body rids itself of lactate through respiration is through CO2. That you're just basically pushing that waste product out of your system in the form of carbon dioxide. All right. right. And so manipulating your intensity to mess with your capacity to push this out, it's all respiratory. It's all got to do with respiratory access, right? How well you're able to manage it. So I, you've heard of people doing hypoxic training where they try to run maybe and hold their breath. Yeah. I know you've probably heard about this. So what are you doing then? You're just hanging on to a tremendous amount of carbon dioxide uh, that you're not allowing to release until you're forced to, and then hopefully through that method, you're going to get some benefits. You know, maybe if you're very unfortunate, you pass out <laughs> in the course of your workouts. But um, and then so you know it's coming, and here it comes. It's just a perfect segue to the conversation right now. Is the flow training that we've that I've discussed and revealed in my my new book? It's about that. It really is about. It's really about how well you're able to mechanize the production of lactate in your system and become more capable of enduring and your battle with fatigue. And so I've done it in two different directions. I've done it working with CrossFit athletes, now I'm doing it with endurance athletes. But essentially what we're doing is we're, we're accessing aerobic uh, metabolism and then eventually gathering into the lactate and into the anaerobic metabolism and flowing in and out of both of these compartments of the energy system, I should say. And it really becomes that. It's a, it's a function of, um, A, I think important to allow your body not to suffer too much. You know, control your suffering uh, and become better and suffer less is what the goal is in training. So if you can run faster and suffer less, you can run faster, Right. If, you, yeah. if every time you try to run, you suffer, your suffering is a signal that you're failing. Right? I would say, yeah. Think about that for you're getting a beat. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. When you really, st well, let me, let me just throw this out there. You know, I, I love him like a brother. You know, Jimmy, when, we, when you guys are running and you're doing the 400s or whatever, he's solid for a good 200, 300, 400, and then he starts to suffer. And he doesn't have a solution to that suffering yet. And that's where he fails. So that's the analogy I'm using. And you, you start to shine when he starts to suffer. And then, you know, you become the problem. Oh, I think it's also uh, that's fatigue. You know, that, I guess suffering is synonymous with fatigue. It's and it's just it's just defined a different way. Yeah. But also there's a there's the tolerance to the suffering. You know, I think my body and, and the, the approach to training that we've had has had significantly good results on my ability to process lactate because when I'm racing, my heart rate is sky high, but I can maintain that uh, for an hour or more, which uh, a lot of people can't do. So I yeah. think that, um, you know, I don't know well, where I'm going with this, well, but yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> but I'm with you. And, and so, but, 
let's just kind of define what we're talking about here. So um, in the program I wrote for CrossFit, we talked about battling with fatigue, winning the battle right. with fatigue. Okay, so fatigue is right, right the first step before the suffering, right? You start to get tired, and if you're really, if you're really um, hard-headed, I guess for lack of a better way of expressing it, and you push your body, and you push your body, and you push your body, you may not be deriving more benefit. Just because you can take a hit doesn't mean you're going to win the fight, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. To a place where you could push on yourself really, really hard to your detriment. It won't be of any value to you. You know, it's nothing worse than, you know, I'm a fight fan. I, you know, I've worked with boxers and such in, in my career. And you get a guy that will just stay in there and let you beat him to death. You've got to throw the towel in for him. But just because he's willing to suffer doesn't mean he's going to win. Yeah. Uh, and so then he may not be fatigued. He may be able to have more tolerance for, for stress than his competitor, um, but the competitor is able to, to beat him down because he's in a much better place physically. Um, and so at the end of the day, these circumstances are hand in hand. And the one thing that really comes to play in all of this is lactate production in your ability to, to process it, whether you're converting it to a usable energy source, which is possible to do with appropriate training, or you get better at vacating it, getting it out of the working muscle, getting it out of your system so you can continue to march. And incidentally, that's essentially the theme of Training the Dark Side, which is the book I just wrote. Um, and so uh, I think it's a fascinating subject. I think, uh, and I'm not here to provide answers. I'm almost here just to cause people to think about it a little bit. You know, And uh, I know that that's how I process information is like a, I start doing some research and then I'll start messing around with it myself and seeing how, you know, it works for me, how it works for others. And, uh, you know, apparently that's what you've been doing. You find you find success in a particular pattern in the way you breathe and you stick with it. Uh, and I think if it's working, um, there's not a tremendous amount of value in trying to change it. Because at the end of the day, when you get into intensity, OK, let's talk about when you get over your lactate threshold you're not going to be able to have as much success controlling the way you do breathe. Who was no. I'm not going to use any names, but I saw on social media the other day somebody posted that they they run with a mouthful of water. And, and obviously that is one way to force them to breathe exclusively through their nose. Well, they're not running very fast, I'll tell you that. Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, I could do that too. I mean, I get out right now and fill my mouth with water and, and talk. You know, I used to joke about, you know, from my... From my my old gym to the beach down Las Posas is uh, nine miles. And I used to run up and down that street forever. You know, I'm, my favorite run was about 13 miles on that road. Just flat, hot run, you know, no thought, no process, just go. Mm -hmm. The joke about going to the beach, getting a mouthful of sand and coming out and spitting it on the carpet at the gym. You know, <laughs> just, just kind of, you know, to show you how badass you were. Uh, I've never done that, mind you, but the, con <laughs> the concept of filling your mouth full of water so you're forcing yourself to breathe through your nose, I just don't know that even if you're successful at that, as you suggested, that you could do that for any great length of time and, and it'd be of value to you. No, I think, uh, I think breathing similar to running mechanics, um, you're going to 
have to do it the most efficient way at some point as you start to push yourself further along. Because with, say with running mechanics, most people cannot reach those higher speeds and be able to sustain those without having better mechanics. You look at the best athletes in the world, they're running a certain way and they're all running very similar to each other because that's how you have to move to sustain that kind of work. So if you're getting into the point where, you know, you're running five minute miles for 30, 40 minutes back to back, if you're not breathing correctly, I think you're going to find out really quickly. And most people stumble upon the the best way to go about it. Right. And I don't even know. I mean, again, it's, it's risk versus benefit. I weigh a lot of things in that, in that regard. So if, if you're investing a lot of time trying to change the way you breathe, is there going to be value for the investment? <clears throat> and I, I do believe that if you taught yourself diaphragmatic breathing for an endurance athlete, let's say, for example, you're planning on running a marathon. If you could train yourself to support diaphragmatic breathing for a marathon, I think you're going to be able to support more work. And you're going to be more oxidative through that course. However, what's cool these days, as you pointed out many, many times, is the mile. And people that are trying to crush that mile time, that's kind of the new frontier these days with the coronavirus being what it is and people out there doing their own thing, is you know, trying to run the fastest mile you possibly can. And believe me when I tell you, and I don't need to tell you, that respiration becomes a big deal. <coughs> yeah trying to crush them off. So anyway, um, I think we've kicked this can down the road well enough for the for the short term. Um, we promise we're going to start doing this a little bit more often, maybe find some other entertaining topics to discuss. But before we go, I want to remind people that we are in the middle. No, we're not in the middle. We're in the beginning of a project, the OCR Performance Project, which is of online, virtual, training program that VJ and I put together, which, by the way, is really doing well. People are having a lot of fun with it. They're, I've already got people suggesting that their performances are already starting to go through the roof. VJ, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Excuse um, me. It's been cool getting people to, to switch their approach to training and go a little more our, our direction. Um, the initial focus of the program has changed a little bit since the cancellation of the rest of the season, but now we're, uh, you know, we're focusing on developing top speed right now, which is uh, a, a, a thing that is really lacking in OCR. So I'm excited to uh, to put the people that sign up for the program through the paces and uh, get their speed up, get them ready for next season. Next season looks to be the biggest, uh, most busy. OCR year we've had yet. The schedules for every race company are looking extremely packed. So I'm excited. I'm excited to bring the people we have on board right now through to the next season, get them ready. And uh, we still got some space. So I think some people should be signing up. I'll go a step further and I'll I'll, I'll suggest that the people that follow our program, that do the work, they're going to PR in every single event that they list up for 2021. They're going to perform way beyond expectation. They're going to do better than they thought they were going to. They're going to beat their friends, which is most important. <laughs> when you show up with your buddy that used to kick your ass and you hand it back to him, he's going to want to know what happened, and you're going to give him this. 
diazhumanperformance.com, D-I-A-Z-humanperformance.com. You'll find the link for the OCR Performance Project. You can sign up for it now. You can become one of our people. We will see you every week on Facebook. We will discuss your training. We will provide you with weekly training. It's a robust program. Beat your friends. VJ is going to see to it. Yeah. I'm all about uh, smacking your friends up and letting them know who's in charge. Yeah. All right. Well, let's shut it down. All right. Talk to you guys thanks soon. For, thanks, for, thanks for listening to us. I really appreciate it. Have a good day, guys. It's kind of pleady, right? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're done. Well, that's it, folks. If you enjoyed what you heard just now, I'd love for you to follow us on Instagram at D-I-A-Z-H-P. Till next time.